Mass was a mainstay here uh, for many, many years at the pulpit and in your living rooms. And so uh, we're happy that he's going to be bringing the word today. Are you going? Okay, you got the earpiece going on there. So, so Dave, I'm going to give you the pulpit if you would serve that way. I'm going wireless. Woohoo! Good morning, everybody. Today we're talking about refuge from Psalms 46. And um, I'm going to give you a, a little update on how things are going personally and some other things. And then we're going to look at Psalms 46. And uh, that'll be about uh, a short little bit. And then we're going to unpack a bit about what life looks like in God's kingdom. Um, just so you have a heads up. So when I get to the end, end of the Psalms, you go, that's it, now it's time to go. No, no, just wait, wait, just give me a minute. Oh, I've got my, my clock here to let me know that I'm way over time. <laughs> um, this picture of, of refuge is a picture and the rock and the man standing on the rock is secure. I think, you know, He's got his hands in his pocket. He's all chilled and relaxed. And and obviously the water around him is raging and roaring. And it's a picture of um, life in Christ. And here we are in Christ. Christ is in us and we're in the rock. And the raging water roaring around us is life in the world. There's two kingdoms. And we often think that we we can go to the rock for encouragement and then we go and live life in the rest of the world, or we got one foot on the rock and one foot on the water, and any idiot can tell you that it's impossible to have one foot on the rock and one foot in the water. It's just, it's not going to happen. Um, also, I have a very good friend who was a licensed whitewater raft, whitewater canoe instructor, and when you would go whitewater rafting and you go down and the rapids are bubbling and churning, and if you capsize, He says, there's eddies that suck you down into the river. And so part of the training is you need to be, need to understand how to come through that mess. And he says, the the problem is that there's too much air in the water, you can't swim. You want to swim to the top, but you can't. And so uh, then you say, okay, but I I need air. And there's all, all this air around me, but there's too much water in the air and you can't breathe. And so what can you do? And he says, the key is to have the presence of mind to know what is happening and then to be able to not fight it, but to relax. And the the eddy and the current will suck you down to the bottom of the river, will carry you down river and spit you up down there. I would not have that presence of mind. I can tell you I have drowned. Uh, They have pulled me out and resuscitated me. No presence of mind. Um, So that's not me. And I can tell you that living this life in this world is like that. Chaos comes and everything comes and rips at us and we need a presence of mind about us. It's not for the faint of heart, I tell you, but it is good because we are on the winning side. We are victorious. So personally, as many of you are praying for me and my health, and you're saying, oh, Dave, you're looking so good. Thank you. Um, So some time ago, uh, through different tests, they discovered I have a tumor growing just above my, uh, just it's kind of attached to my ribs, my rib cage, and it's about this big. 
And so last week I had a biopsy done. They stuck in a needle. And he says, well, I'm not sure if I'll be able to see it. I've got CT scan lined up and ultrasound. And I lay down on the table and the surgeon says, no, I don't need ultrasound. I, don't, I can see it right here. There it is. So uh, they took a biopsy and sent it away. We'll find out this week what it is. Plus they're doing all kinds of other tests to see, is this a one-off or is there other stuff growing that shouldn't be growing? And if there is, then when they cut me open and take it out, they want to make sure they go cut everywhere and take everything they're supposed to. So uh, they're looking at, at probably removing some of the ribs with the stuff that's growing around it. Whatever that case is, I don't know. We'll deal with it as it comes. Um, Doctors and surgeons do what they can, but I know the healer. And I can't lose. I can't lose. If I get healed without surgery, if I get healed with surgery, and if I die, I can't lose. There is no losing here. And so I want to to share that with you. When I was in Rwanda, I got the news on the way to Rwanda. Uh, and Lynn was at home alone, and I was there as we got the news. And, and so I, as I met with different pastors and people in there, and they're in such difficult situations in the church and the leaders and in the country. And I met with many pastors who were starving, literally starving. And as I sat with them, their faces were beaming. They says, we're so grateful for the Lord. We're so grateful for the relationship that we have, that you're here to encourage us. We have such great hope. Thank you. We're together. So what hope can you bring people? Whatever you preach here has to preach in every country, in every situation. And if we're going to preach prosperity, come to Jesus, you have prosperity, guess what? We are prosperous and we have miserable people here. Did you know that? Not about prosperity. And we went to another pastor's home, the home where Lynn and I stayed when we first went to Rwanda 10 years ago. They're now in a very, very difficult place, pastor couple. And we interrupted them in their home. And they too, food is not something they have a lot of. And we interrupted them in their home. They were busy praying and worshiping and praying. And it doesn't matter what time of day or night you would come to that house. That's what's happening. Because this is that's when we have peace. That's when we have joy. And so the point of refuge is this. Whatever your situation, if you're not praying, if you're not praising and worshiping, there's no peace. I can tell you that. And for myself in Rwanda at one point, I couldn't fall asleep. I was in a nice hotel and I'm, what's going on? And the Lord says, you're panicking. So I'm not a panicking guy, but you're panicking. So what do I do? And I just put on a recycle Psalms 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from every fear. And I put it on a recycle and I fell asleep and sometime later Lynn and I spoke and she says, Dave, you look completely different. What's going on? So I was panicking before. Now I'm not. Whatever the situation you're in, what I find is that when I'm listening to people in difficulty and crisis, I'm listening. Are you praising the Lord? Are you worshiping? Are you saying thank you, Jesus, or not? And that's how we fight. That's how we go down to the bottom of the stream 
and down river and it spits us up over there. We worship. We praise. We say, thank you, Lord. And he is glorified. And nothing about that makes sense in my head to just relax and let the current take me and carry me. Nothing. But that is the truth of it. So today I want to encourage us that whatever situation you're in, we're in the same. I have a brother, very successful in business in BC, has a gorgeous log home on the side of the mountain. They've lived in it for 30 years. Very successful in business. In January, they says you have leukemia. He's fighting leukemia, trying to survive. And then he went home to Vernon to be with his wife and daughter for a week and then back to Vancouver to fight. He's got to stay in the hospital until Christmas. While he's back in Vernon, the forest fire comes and destroys his house, vaporizes it. All that's left is a hole in the ground, not even any smoldering timber, nothing. 2,000 degrees Celsius does that. I don't care who you are, what your situation or circumstance. In this world, there's trouble. And Jesus says, I want you to be the light in the world. I want people to look at you in the middle of whatever mess you have, and they will see you worshiping and praising God and will say, you are sick in the head. And you will say, no, I have a hope. I have a rock. I have a relationship. And no matter what happens, we win. There's more people in heaven than hell. Way more people. God wants to populate heaven. And he has called each of us into this world to live this life, to be a light to the world, whatever our circumstance. So no matter what happens, the question is, are we going to praise the Lord? Next slide, please. So, refuge. And now at the bottom of the first section there, there's a sailor. I love that. And that's typically, uh, you know, if you're a, a guitar player, half as good as Nick, then you're still twice as good as me. <laughs> but in music, sometimes as a song goes, and then the instruments take over for a bit and, and express like it's a prophetic thing that can happen where the instruments play and express an emotion. And that's what I, the sailor is like in there. Father, I thank you for this morning, for the privilege of bringing a word of encouragement, Father. And I pray that today we will hear the truth of who you are and the truth of your love. Amen. When we're born into this world, there's crying. Who's crying? The baby. Who's laughing? The dad, not the mom, the dad. <laughs> Let's just be honest. <laughs> so there's crying and there's laughing when you're born. When you die, there's crying. Who's crying? Everybody around you. Who's laughing? God's kingdom is everywhere. God's kingdom is in us. And we need to understand that. We come to Christ, we become children of God, but we don't understand that he has brought us into the game at this time for his purpose. His game, he says, I've, I want you in the game right now. So we've been brought in, born, brought into this world right now 
for his purpose. Actually, it's not so that we can relax and chill and have a good time. We can do that as we go at different times, but what gives us joy is winning. I love winning. No matter how difficult the battle or the struggle, I love winning. And I know that I win. Okay, so here the psalmist is saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There are some psalms that say, I know that you're a help in trouble. It doesn't feel like you are. Where are you? What's going on? That's all true and legitimate. And we can pray those psalms and express them, and God loves it when we do. But this psalm is saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and it's changing, and though the mountains should slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. The mountains, those things around us and authorities and places that swell up in pride. It talks about governments and powers. We have an election coming in tomorrow and what will happen in our country and our government. We have a lot of things we could worry about. Let's just sit down and worry about them for a bit, shall we? Let me just worry about all these things for a bit. And put it on you. What if this, what if that, and this party, that party? Guess what? No matter who gets put in power, they're going to die. And then somebody else will be put in power. It's not my problem. I pray. I won't. I pray. You need to vote. I don't care how you vote. You need to vote. Because there's a lot of countries where people can't. Next slide. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is now reminiscent of of Revelation and the end of time. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. Wherever God is in the midst, you are immovable. God's kingdom is immovable, unshakable. So if your kingdom is being rocked and shaken and shattered, ah, it's not God's kingdom. God's kingdom is immovable and it's unshakable. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Can somebody shout amen? We need to understand who God is and who we are. I love the testimony. And when when Diego says that the person had seen, knows things, the Holy Spirit had revealed things about that person, they had no way of knowing. You see, we come and meet people and think, well, they're not Christian, therefore God hasn't spoken to them. And and Elise says, you know, how can they hear unless somebody goes and tells them? I agree 100%. At the same time, God doesn't just wait for us. He's busy talking to people all over the place. And I found it amazing as I meet people and ask them, so tell me uh, uh, about things that you've heard or you hear or understand or spiritual things. And people all of a sudden start telling you stuff that's really weird. You go, wow, I kind of know where that's coming from. Anyway, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. He speaks and he has spoken and he will speak. And now we go to the third section in the psalm. There's three pieces here. And I have a little piece that is highlighted in red in the psalm. Uh, because, uh, because. Anyway, come, 
Behold the works of the Lord. This is the psalmist still speaking. Okay, Behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. When Jesus is Lord, there is no war. The reason there is war is because Jesus is not Lord. And the psalmist is declaring that when Christ is put as King of kings and Lord of lords, there's no need for weapons. I can tell you why all these people are starving. Because of war. Congo has a, can produce enough food to feed the entire continent of Africa. Congo. But the most starving, poor people in the world live in Congo. What's the problem? You got trucks of food, 400 and some trucks of food that have gone with relief into Afghanistan and they can't find any of them. They've disappeared. Why does that happen? Why does that happen? Because of greed. As we go to Rwanda and we hear in 1994, 90% Christians, the nation was considered 90% Christian and a million people get killed in 100 days. How does that happen? We're going to understand that today. So, verse 10 is in red because what I have here is the psalmist as he's speaking, God infuses in his head these words. And so the quotation is from, this is like God speaking. He says, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, that cease striving and know that I'm God, it makes great plaques, right? Up in the, on the wood thing and you have it in your kitchen and in the office. Cease striving and know that I'm God. You know what it's saying? I don't know the Hebrew or the Greek, but I have friends who do. And so what I'm told this verse is saying, God is saying, stop it. Stop it. Stop your fighting and squabbling. Stop it! There's enough for everybody. Stop it! Cease striving. And know that I am God. I care more about this than anybody else here. Stop it. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Now that's, in a nutshell, the entire scripture. And I can take, give you a thousand examples and unpack it from a thousand different stories and ways. I'm not going to do that this morning. A thousand is a bit much. But we go to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Next slide. Yeah, yeah, there we go. It should say Luke 18, verse 1. But anyway. Where Jesus is speaking, now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And I encourage you to read Luke 18 to the situations Jesus is talking about where chaos and strife among people all over the place, all the time. In this world, there's chaos and strife all the time. Did you know that? So if you want to get rid of that or some, what do I have to do to get rid of it? Well, you're not going to. 
until you die. Then you'll be rid of it. And for some people, when they die, it gets worse than ever. But we are meant to live in this world with chaos and strife. But we're meant to live victoriously. That's the point. We need to understand that. So Jesus is speaking. And now somebody put a note on this verse that said this. It seems to me that we have a choice. We can choose to pray or we can choose to lose heart. It's a choice. We're not victims. We, unless we choose to be victims. Too often I find I'm thinking that my discouragement is some consequence of the seemingly overwhelming attack of the enemy. It may well be that, however, when I check myself, I too often find that I have not been praying or meditating on God's word. That's why I look at the situation is informing me and instructing me on in how to think and how to feel. I go back to God's word. He is the God of Jacob, the God of hope, and I worship him. So I'm not saying any one of us is to blame for discouragement. I am saying we cooperate with the enemy when we do not engage our spirit with the Holy Spirit. Whom are we cooperating with? Which spirit is informing us? What spirit are we cooperating with? Father, help me today to know your word, your voice, and your spirit. people in crisis and difficulty. As I sat with our brothers in Rwanda, I'm listening to what they're going to say. And they did not talk of how hopeless and difficult it was. They talked about how glorious Christ is and the reality of the hope of salvation. And I like it that you're working with the kids. And when they said in Sunday school, our hope is that to reach the kids at a young age and John Paul is working with kids, and we work with kids with, through Ambassadors Football. And Diego, there was a, a cartel. There's one of our brothers with Ambassadors Football working in a country that is run and controlled by the mafia and the drug cartel people. And uh, a, a superstar soccer player, football means soccer, a superstar football player uh, said, I want, I want to reach those kids in my country for the Lord. So he went to the city where the drug cartel owns and runs everything. Please government, everything. And he says, right in there, I want to reach those kids for the Lord. And so they went in there and started the football ministry with the kids. And then they had one of these, these local drug gangs came to him and says, you know, we see the colors that you're wearing, and those are the colors of our enemy gang over there. And so if you're going to come in here with those colors, we're going to have to kill you. So they talked to the gangster guys and told them what they wanted to do, to give the kids hope. To give the kids hope. And the gangster says, wow, I like your idea. And so the gangsters all got together and he says, this is a good idea what these guys want to do. But they're coming into the middle of this territory. So the gangsters all got together and met with our friends and says, oh, here's the deal. As long as you don't be partisan to any one of these gangs and you go to these colors that are neutral, we will protect you. The gangsters said, we will stand guard around 
what you're doing and protect you because what you're doing is a good thing. There's no such thing as a country that we cannot go to or a place we cannot go to with the gospel. There are places that we won't go to because we're afraid. So, help us to hear your voice. Next slide. So what God is saying, cease striving and know that I'm God. Stop. He says, stop it. Listen to your Father in heaven who has brought you into this great game for this time, for this purpose. Okay, so we got James 4 verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Why? And God showed me this. Why did the genocide happen in 1994? Right here. And by the way, God gave me this sermon when I was in Rwanda. This teaching. And I presented it there. And sat down with the leaders and I said to them, this is the root cause of the genocide in Rwanda right here. And it's a very sensitive subject there, as you well can imagine. And he says, you're right. You're right. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Ah, you want something, you can't get it, so then you pray and you ask God to give it to you, but you pray with the wrong motives so because you want to use it for the wrong things, and, and so then you don't get, and then you get upset, so then you try to take it from each other and force it upon each other, and you kill each other. A little further, it says, don't you know that the Holy Spirit lusts to be with us? What is it that you need or short of? The Holy Spirit... The third person of the Godhead is asking. And further, verse 7, it says, Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. He can't stand it when we raise our hands and worship and praise him in the midst of conflict. It drives him nuts. Don't you know you shouldn't do that? You should be groveling in pain and misery. Draw near to God and he will draw near to do you. Cleanse your hearts and hands. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Satan cannot stand it when we humble ourselves. So, our response, are we, are we cooperating with the spirit of God or with the spirit of the enemy? John 1.22, uh, the disciples are coming and Jesus has been talking with the people there, and uh, Peter is asking, and, and they've been sitting together, intimate time, and John's got his head on Jesus' chest, and it's just such a sweet time. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and oh, Jesus had a favorite? Oh. Oh. Jesus had a favorite? Oh, oh, oh. I don't like that. You know, we're Canadian, we've got to be the same for everybody. Jesus had a favorite, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Peter asked John to ask a question, and Jesus said, and so then in the conversation, there's the idea that maybe John's not even going to die. And so the disciples are, are saying, I wonder, is, is, so they ask Jesus, what's going to happen with him? You see the comparing, the looking at each other. What's going to happen with you? What's that guy doing? What's he not doing? He should be. I should be. Why is he? Why is he the favorite? I should be the favorite. You see, right there with his disciples. They lived with them for three years. 
And what does Jesus say? He says, don't worry about him. In Rwanda, we'd say, not your basil. Charles, that's for you. <laughs> not your basil. No problem. Don't worry about it, Jesus says. What is it to you if I want him to die or not to die? He's not saying he's not going to die. He's just saying, why are you forever doing this when you can come to me for everything? It's the root of the problem. Peter's asking Jesus about John. Then we have Matthew 22, verse 8. And, and this is a brilliant passage of scripture. Do not be called rabbi. Now again, the people are saying, what do we call you? Should we call you uh, pastor, teacher, reverend, bishop, deacon? What do we call each other? Ah, that's a big deal. And Jesus says, do not be called rabbi, which is a, a, an elevated teacher, for one is your teacher. And you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Okay, then, then what? Do not be called leaders. For one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you is your servant. So if you're an apostle, that means you're the first one to serve. The first one to lay it down. That's what it means. Jesus is our chief apostle, the first to serve, the first to lay it down. And the disciples and people were forever bickering and haggling about what they should call each other. And I have been in great settings with many pastors and I've greeted somebody and where it's a big deal and, and I says, hey, hey, hi. And it's like if I say, hey, hi, Matt, it's good to see you. And, and Matt says, no, no, you don't, you don't understand. I've, I've become pastor. Oh, okay, sorry. So now I have to say, hi, pastor. Yes, okay. So then I say, hi, pastor. Six months later, I meet Matt. Say, hey, hi, pastor. How's it going? He said, no, you haven't heard. You haven't heard. I am now promoted. I am reverend. You need to call me reverend. Okay. So, hi, reverend Matt. Six months later, why are you calling me? Haven't you heard? I'm now bishop. Good grief. There's no servants anywhere. Because the thinking is not that the leader is the main servant. The thinking is being served and all other things around it. And Jesus says, that is why I say to you, don't call each other that. Call each other brother. You know, if I got a sister and she sees me as reverend or bishop or whatever, and I'm messing up, she might think twice before she talks to me. But if she is my sister, she can be 20 years younger than me, sees me messing up, I can guarantee you what my good sister would do. Dave, what's up with you? Why are you so weird here? That's what sisters do. Am I right? They're not impressed with title, position, money. None of that impresses them. Brothers and sisters. We love each other. And hopefully my sister would be gracious when she called me on it. Maybe next time she will be. I don't know. <laughs> oh, oops, was that out loud? <laughs> now, in case we're wondering about whether or not God can do it or not, 2 Kings 6, verse 8 to 27 is a brilliant story of Elisha. 
And I'm just going to unpack that a little bit to see how God works in this kingdom. Elisha was trained by Elijah. Elijah is the guy who prayed and, and the uh, Baal and Jezebel and all those things happened and the chaos happened. And Elijah is the one who prayed and, and for three years it didn't rain. And then he prayed again and then it rained. So who's this Elijah superhero guy? And in Hebrews it tells us he was a man with the same nature as you and me. That's who Elijah was. When we refuse to pray, we are not in God's flow and current of things. He's looking for anybody who's willing to pray. Any idiot. Any fool. He'll take a jackass and use it as a prophetic word. Amen. Amen. And I'm that happy to be that jackass. You understand? Children. God speaks to children. God speaks to people all the time. Anybody who pay half attention. And as soon as we say, well, Elijah, he had that kind of... You know, when, when the king sent 50 soldiers to, the, to, to, to go and kill him, and Elijah said, oh, I see them, and he comes to the mountain, they get struck dead. He sends 50 more, they get struck dead. This is Elijah sitting, up, sitting with God. He's not afraid. So he's got Elisha that he's trained, and he goes with him. So now in 2 Kings 6, 8 to 27... We have the story of, the, of this king. The king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king. This is now Elisha, who sends word to the king and says, Because beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. So here's Elisha minding his own business sitting with God, praying and worshiping, praying and worshiping, and God says, that's what's happening over there. Make sure you send a message to the king. The king doesn't ask any question anywhere, but Elisha sends a message to the king. Those guys over there are going to come and kill you. So the king wisely listens to the word, which we don't always do, and so the king of Aram is defeated. And so this is frustrating to the king of to this king. And he, and, and he does it once, he does it twice, he does it more than twice. Scripture says more than once or twice this happens. Here's this great king with a vast army coming and trying to defeat and it doesn't work. So he says, somebody in my camp is a traitor. I got to get that traitor and I got I to gotta deal with him. Who's my, who in my camp is a traitor? And they say to him, uh, there's none, but we will tell you that there's Elisha who sits on his own, minds his own business, and God tells him what it is you are saying in your bedroom. He knows everything you do. And he goes and tells the, the king, Are you afraid? What are you afraid of? In his bedroom, he can't speak. So, what does the king do? He mounts a vast army to go into, I've got to go find him and kill him. He doesn't get it, does he? You and I don't get it. That the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is we're on his side. And when we're on his side, he can do anything. And so when the king sends a vast army to go and attack him and to kill him, and, and then Elisha's servant says, you know, the king sent his chariots and army and vast, everybody's coming here, they're coming here to kill us. What are you going to do? This is bad news. Really, really bad news. Why have you been doing this? And Elisha says, well, no, not Chibazo. <laughs> it's not a problem. He says, don't you see this vast army that is here? And Elisha, I don't believe Elisha necessarily saw, but he asked the Lord to open his, his servant's eyes, and he saw that the hills were covered with chariots of fire. And Elisha just says, 
Lord, will you open his eyes so he sees what our team is like? Elisha wasn't afraid. And so what happens is they come and Elisha goes down to... Elisha says, Lord, will you strike them blind? So the entire army is struck blind. And what does Elisha do? He goes down and he says, hey guys, how's it going? Well, we're here to try and find Elisha. We don't go kill him. So well, you're in the wrong place for him. Here, let me take you where he is, okay? So Elisha takes them and leads the entire army out into Samaria. So there they are. They're all together. When they're in Samaria, then Elisha says, Lord, will you open their eyes so they can see what's going on? And here they are surrounded now by their enemy. And, and the king that the king of Aramean wanted to ki- attack says to Elisha, should we kill them all now? That's what we should do. We should kill them because they're our enemies and we should kill them. Thinking about this world again. Not about God's kingdom, but about this kingdom. Elisha says, no, if you took them captive in a war, you wouldn't kill them. Why don't you prepare some food for them? So they do. They prepare a big feast for these guys. And they eat the meal together and they're never attacked again. When I'm afraid... I'm manifesting where my hope is. And I don't understand what's going on. But the hope of the Lord is real. The power of God is real. But it will give Him glory, not me. And so for that to happen, the situation needs to be one where we're at the very edge of disaster. Right? At the edge of of disasters. The Blue Jays, it's the ninth inning. They're down by five runs and nothing good can come of it. At the edge of disaster. We love those stories and we come back and we win. The Bombers actually winning. I don't know what to do with that. We'll just leave that there. It just maybe shows that God is merciful. Uh, That's the only thing I can figure from it. (laughs) But the hope of God is real. So here we are Christ is the rock, and the water is the world. And we're in the middle of it. And if we've been trying to solve the problems, and trying to make things right, and trying to undo the wrongs, you can't swim in that water. You can't breathe in that water. Why don't you begin by repenting, confessing, saying, Lord, I'm, I'm not God. You are. I submit to you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in this situation. Your king, I will humble myself. I will lay down my rights. I will lay down what it is that I think I should rightfully have or get. And I ask you, Lord, to bring glory to your name. Whatever that means. If I die, I die and I'll be with you. Now if I live, that means you have more for me on this earth, in this this world, in this kingdom, to work for your kingdom. Then Father, for your glory, use my life for your maximum glory, whatever that means. And I can tell you it'll be painful and nasty but we win. (laughs) And when we have that mindset, then when difficulties come, we go, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Consider it pure joy when difficulties come. Ah, here's another chance. We have another battle coming. We're going to win this one. Whatever the situation, God's kingdom wins. God's kingdom is here and now. Learn to enjoy the fight because we win. (laughs) Learn to enjoy the fight. Greg, you can come up. There is a gazillion songs and prayers and hymns that express these things. Psalms 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from every fear. Those who look on him are radiant. They'll never be ashamed. They'll never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard me and saved me from my enemies. The Son of God surrounds His saints. He will deliver them. He will deliver them. Magnify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name together. Glorify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name forever. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, blessed be who hides in him, blessed he. Oh, fear the Lord, oh, all you saints. He'll give you everything, he'll give you everything. Magnify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name. Together glorify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name forever. Father, you alone are worthy of all praise, of all glory. And it is when we praise you and worship you that we find our place in you. We find our rest, our peace in you. Father, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In each situation here in this room, in Canada, in Rwanda, around the world, in Mexico, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And we will sing forever with all the saints gathered together. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Thank you, Jesus.